Rafer, I have a question for you. Ask away. How important is logic in a movie to you? Oh, well, I know where you're going with this one. Uh, <laughs> it's got to be pretty important. It's got to be pretty important. Um, Alfred Hitchcock complained about people that he called the plausibles, which were the nitpickers out in the audience who kept saying, well, that's implausible. That would never work. And Alfred Hitchcock always said, well, I don't care about that. Is it fun? Is it entertaining? If it's fun and entertaining, then it works. I'm a little somewhere between the two. How about you? I'm kind of into the fun and entertaining, and I don't need everything to be perfect. But if suddenly there are so many contradictions that um, I I can't follow anymore, or alternatively, if the human motivations suddenly stop making sense, if people's character and their decisions, if suddenly those are illogical, I have a much harder time with that than I do if suddenly like walls fall apart and dogs can fly. If that's part of the plot, that's fine if dogs can fly. But do you know what I'm saying? Well, let's see if we have any flying dogs that that come up. (laughs) Oh, that'd be so cute. In this week's two big movies. We're going to talk about Big Hero 6, the new Disney film, a sci-fi adventure, and then another sci-fi adventure, probably the bigger film, Interstellar, the new epic from Christopher Nolan. We're also going to talk about a smaller movie called Horn, starring... Harry Potter. No. Oh, don't say that. Daniel Radcliffe. That's what I meant. That's what I meant. We also will, of course, have our sweatpants picks for the week. What to watch if you don't want to leave your house and put on big boy pants. But before we do all that, let's introduce ourselves. I'm Kristen Meinzer, culture producer for The Takeaway. And I'm Rafer Guzman, film critic for Newsday, and this is Movie Day. Well, Kristen, let's start off with the Disney film, Big Hero 6. Mm-hmm. Now, this, is, this strikes me as the kind of film that might confuse you <laughs> because you tend not to do well with these superhero sci-fi action-driven films. That is true. And I will say that for the first half, I didn't even realize it was going to become a superhero movie. Ah. I thought Big Hero 6 was going to be the name of the loving, puffy robot. Right. We get to see who's so huggable. He's on all the posters. There are giant blow-ups of him in all sorts of movie theater lobbies right now. Yes, yes. He looks kind of like a cousin of the Stay Puft Marshmallow Man. Exactly. Very sweet. Or the Michelin Man, perhaps. Yes. Either one of those. (laughs) Let's play a clip. Hello. I am Baymax. Your personal healthcare companion. Uh, hey, uh, Baymax, I didn't know you were still active. I heard a sound of distress. What seems to be the trouble? Oh, I just stubbed my toe a little. I'm fine. On a scale of one to ten, how would you rate your pain? Uh, A zero? I'm okay, really. Thanks. Oh, that sweet little robot. Or not so little. Yep. Trying to offer some love, some attention, because, you know... He was invented to be a healthcare robot. That's right. He's a home healthcare aide, basically. He can scan you. He can administer some bacitracin to your wound. <laughs> he figures out, of course, he can learn. And so he figures out how to comfort you emotionally as well. At what point he, he takes Hero, the little, the little boy, and pats him on the head and says, there, there. So he, he oh, learns these little things. He's so sweet. He's now, so sweet. Now, do you want to attempt a plot summary? Because i got to tell you, even I... I'm going to be hard-pressed. Well, what we have here is we have an older brother and a younger brother who are orphaned and living with their aunt. We have Tagashi, who's the older brother, going to kind of the equivalent of MIT in the fictional town of San Francisco. Yes, which which I love. Kind of an Asian um, and American mashup of cultures and 
um, of people and so on. And so he's going to school at this kind of MIT sort of place, Caltech sort of place. Yeah. And then we have a younger brother who also is into technology and robotics, and his name is Hero. Hero is kind of a prodigy, but he's using his knowledge for evil, not for good. He's out on the you know underground betting circuit doing fighting robot yeah, wars fighting. and so on. Yes, bot fighting. Meanwhile, his older brother is into caring for people, and that's why his older brother creates this healthcare robot. Yes. Baymax. 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 Yes. I've been calling him Betamax, like the tapes. Oh, like, <laughs> like the tapes, right? <laughs> no, Baymax. B-A-Y-M-A-X. Yeah. Sounds like Betamax to me. It does. Yes. So uh, Baymax and Hero really come to rely on each other and become good friends after something bad happens to Tagashi. That's right. Uh, early in the movie. I thought it was just going to be a buddy movie of learning to cope, learning to go out in the world, and realizing that taking care of oneself isn't just about the physical, but about the emotional. And then about two-thirds of the way through the movie, maybe three-fourths, it becomes a superhero movie. That's right. And that part kind of threw me off. I liked everything up until that point. Oh, now, so when the superhero uh, stuff comes in, uh, and at this point it's because um, Hero invents a little thing called a microbot that you can control telepathically with a little controller, and uh, they get commandeered by a mysterious evil figure in a kabuki mask who is controlling these little microbots. Too scary, by the way. Oh, you thought he was too scary? Yeah, he reminded me of uh, oh. Death Maul in the Star Wars. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, he he kind of so does, scary huh? looking. Oh, that's yeah. interesting. I didn't find him that scary. Oh, too scary for me. But you, so when it turned superhero for you, you kind of, you started to lose interest? Yes. Then uh, I'm like, oh, this was so cute and fun before. I liked the simplicity of the story and that robot is so huggable and yeah. cute. And when attention gets pulled away from him and into this whole superhero fantasy, I'm like, I don't care anymore. Yeah, so if hero tries to, uh, he ropes in a bunch of uh, uh, classmates of his, also from the from the robotics uh, school, uh, a guy named Wasabi, played by uh, Damon Wayans Jr. They all have uh, uh, names like that: Honey Lemon, uh, Go Go, things like that. Uh, T.J. Miller plays a guy named just plain old Fred. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, you know, I I have to say, I found this thing pretty pretty jumbled up. It's got about four different stories going on, right? You've got the old, the little, the little brother, older brother. Mm-hmm. You've got the buddy between the little brother and Baymax. You've got the superhero team that's being assembled. There's a teleportation device that appears out of nowhere suddenly, oh, yeah. right? And then, you know, a whole thing. I There's do... logic. There are a couple of logic issues in there, too, on top of the multiple storylines. Now, the logic issues didn't bother me because I don't really feel like the film has any logic. Do, <laughs> do you know what I mean? I mean, seriously, it's, it's in its own self-contained world of San Francisco. Sokio, where things just kind of operate in this way. It's, it's nutty. It's just nuttiness out there in San Francisco. And that didn't bother me so much. I, you know, There's I have a robotics professor daughter that comes out of nowhere. Yeah, becomes right. a major. Like, no, yeah. that's what I'm talking about. Like human exactly. motivations that make <laughs> exactly. no sense. I'm like, exactly. I don't mind if this can fly or that time machine exists. What I mind is suddenly a character does something you don't expect or, you know, that's yeah. Well, that, you, see, even that didn't bother me. Anyway, I don't want to give too much away. I will say that for all of that, I actually found this to be a pretty good date. And I think for kids, they would really enjoy it. Um, I think there are uh, at, least, at least a handful of pretty good female characters in it. And I think it's got a lot of action, a lot of humor. Uh, Scott Adsit uh, plays the voice of Baymax. His voice is really endearing. And and that relationship, I think, really works. And John Lasseter uh, of Pixar and of Disney, um, you know, he's got that way of kind of, you know, he knows how to just reach out and grab you right in the heart. He does it, does it I every time. I cried. Oh, God. I cried multiple times. Okay? I admit it. I, I did admit. too. <gasps> you did, Ray? I kind of did. This oh, kind of, that in this makes goofy, me so happy. This goofy I'm Disney so movie, it, kind so of, it, it got me. It got me. I liked it. Again, I think 
you know, if you're a kid, it's in your DNA, this kind of stuff. Superheroes, mm. teleportation devices. You just know about all this stuff. You can keep it tracking. You, you know, you, you can keep all that stuff straight in your head the way that you and I maybe can't. Mm. Well, I loved three-fourths of it. Three-fourths of it I just was wild about. And then, you know, like hmm. I said, I had problems with some other stuff. But all that being said... I think it's a pretty good date, so I don't yeah. mean to rag on it so much. It's a pretty good date. I loved the crying. Loved all the points where I could <laughs> you cry. You loved the crying. So I Big Hero crying. 6, we're both saying, you know, pretty good. Yeah. All right. Good date. That's good. Kristen, what is, what is the plot of this new movie called Horns? I know it has <laughs> Daniel Radcliffe, and I know he has horns. I have not seen the film, but I'm very intrigued slash baffled. So am I, and I've already seen it. I'll be darned. (laughs) Tell me anything you can tell me about this. So Daniel Radcliffe wakes up one morning. He has horns growing out of his head. Mm. And what we come to learn is that his girlfriend was recently killed. Everybody thinks he's the one who's responsible for her murder. His horns that show up on his head somehow also allow him to see the ugly internal thoughts that people are having. And sometimes people look at him and see the horns, sometimes they don't. And I think that this is all supposed to in some way be a parable about the creation of Satan, who was um, once God's favorite angel, he's fallen, because we see snakes, we see him at one point carrying a pitchfork. Uh. Here's a clip. You killed that innocent girl, Marin. There's no, nothing I, I can do. No, except I didn't Please, kill her. Please, leave me alone. I didn't kill her father, and now people are telling me all these things I don't want to hear. I mean, there must be a prayer you could say. I'll try anything. You did this to yourself. What? You turned away from God, and you cast yourself into the darkness. But I didn't do anything wrong. Every devil used to be an angel, and now you've fallen from grace. Well, the question, of course, is how's Daniel Radcliffe? Oh, he's always wonderful. I actually think of all those Harry Potter kids. Um, you, you know, he could have just ended up being pigeonholed for the rest of his life to yeah. play some nerdy whatever. He, he's pretty enjoyable. I, I like Daniel Radcliffe. I find him very likable. But I, all that being said, I don't understand what this movie was about. <laughs> That's the impression I get. <laughs> I, I have no idea. The logic of this universe, I tried to figure out. And maybe it would make more sense if I'd read the young adult novel that yeah, it's yeah, based yeah. on. Right. Which apparently was very popular. People liked that quite a bit. Huh. Um, I have no idea. I, this was a very confusing date for me. <laughs> So is there it, is some sex in it. Some, if you want to see Daniel Radcliffe having sex. Oh, okay. All right. So there's that. Well, yeah. I saw that in uh, in uh, Kill Your Darlings. Oh the, yes. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So I mean, it was that was gay, but I mean, I saw I saw I saw that already. But you already got to see him have sex. Yeah. yeah. So if All you right. want to see him have straight sex, you can see. Him oh, okay. Him All right. Well, that's sort of something. So you're saying <laughs> so you're saying horns, not so good. Horns, confusing date, not 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 a great date. I, I didn't what know what date What is this date talking about? What happened to, to me on this date? I don't know what, what just happened to me. <laughs> let's switch gears back to science fiction, Kristen, and let's talk about... What? You don't think horns is science fiction? I don't know. Is it? Is that <laughs> fantasy? Is it science fiction? Is it, is I can't it, tell the difference sometimes between those things. Symbolist art? What is it? I don't know. I don't know. But is Interstellar more logical? Why don't you give us a plot? Oh, oh, sure. Oh, sure. Throw, throw that one to me. Uh, well, of course, yes, we're talking about Interstellar. This is, you know, one of the event movie of the year, I've got to say, maybe second to Hunger Games, depending on your on your point of view. But uh, big event movie, Christopher Nolan, Matthew McConaughey, Jessica Chastain, Anne Hathaway, Casey Affleck, the list goes on, uh, takes place in the near future 
when Earth is dying, uh, crops won't grow except for corn. Uh, so Earth is dying. Matthew McConaughey, a farmer, however, was formerly an engineer and a pilot for NASA. And he is asked to come back to what is left of NASA, a little dying, dwindling NASA team. And they are going to launch a rocket into space with a team of astronauts. They're going to find a habitable planet and see if they can find a new home for mankind. Here's a clip. You don't believe we went to the moon? I believe it was a brilliant piece of propaganda that the Soviets bankrupted themselves, pouring resources into rockets and other useless machines. Useless machines. And if we don't want a repeat of the excess and wastefulness of the 20th century, then we need to teach our kids about this planet, not tales of leaving it. Now, the big emotional component in this film, of course, is that Matthew McConaughey is leaving behind his uh, son and daughter uh, who grow up into Jessica Chastain and uh, Casey Affleck. So there's your emotional component right there. Kristen, what did what were your expectations going into this film? Because I know that you are not the biggest Nolan fan. Yeah, sometimes I feel that Christopher Nolan is trying to play a trick on us, and he creates a world with its own logic, but sometimes the logic doesn't actually want us to understand it. Mm-hmm. And sometimes that drives me nuts. But, okay. But that being said, I don't hate all of Christopher Nolan. I like some of his movies. As you know, I really like Memento. Of course. But... Um, this one is taking itself extremely seriously. It's a very big, it's a movie about big ideas. Yes, about space, about time, about love, about connection, about whether small moments and places matter as much as bigger universal ones. If you save one person because you love them, even though it means losing lots of other people because of that decision. Yeah. Um, and then also just uh, about survival, human nature, the stars, the universe. And it's it's got a lot that it's trying to cover in here. And so much of it's thrown at you. And I, I just was a little bit uncertain about what it was trying to do. If there was ever a focus, we see a lot of you know, Dust Bowl stuff on Earth that looks like it's the 1930s. And then we see... Well, there are interviews with Dust Bowl survivors survivors that I think actually come from Ken Burns' Dust Bowl documentary. (laughs) It feels like it. I think they actually do. I've seen the documentary and I think that... Well, one of them is played by Ellen Burstyn, weirdly. Mm -hmm. And then other ones, I think, are actually from that documentary. It felt like it, but I couldn't tell. Yeah. I mean, and, and then we also have not just outer space travel, but then we also have... Because of time-space continuum issues, people who are aging versus those right. who aren't aging. We have people who are hibernating. We have people who are asleep. We have some planets that look um, uninhabitable but actually might be habitable. And then we have people who look like they're good guys who are bad guys, actually. That's right. Don't um, say who. The studio, this, have you gotten that, that email from the studio? Yes, I have. <laughs> and there's more than one person who you could say that about in that's, this movie. That's a good point. Where we have fathers and daughters also who are mirroring each other, not just uh, Matthew McConaughey and his daughter Jessica Chastain, but we also have Anne Hathaway and her father, right. played by Michael Caine. Right. Um, both, both Dr. Brand. Yes. Am I... I just feel like I'm listing off a whole bunch of things here now. Well, I, I'm not no, even telling I, you about this movie at this but point. But I mean, you, you're getting you're getting to the the heart of a big problem here with this movie, which is that um, there's a lot stuffed in here. Uh, you know, one of the big things about this movie was that Kip Thorne, the uh, theoretical astrophysicist, kind of a Stephen Hawking type, um, you know, he was he's an executive producer on this film, and he is you know his ideas are sort of uh, where where the they're the whole inspiration uh, for Christopher Nolan for this film. Um, so you've got this promise of wiggy, 
trippy science. You know, you go to a planet and one, you know, one hour that you spend on this planet, seven years are ticking by on Earth. Uh, you're going to go through kind of wormholes, other dimensions. You're going to fold space and time over upon themselves. And then we're also going to talk about not just kind of theory of relativity stuff, but also the fate of mankind and what's out there. And I think ultimately in a three-hour movie, I just felt like, well, you've shoved a lot of stuff in here, but I'm not sure what any of this is saying to me. I don't feel blown away by this movie the way I did by, say, 2001. The way, where I felt like something kind of heavy and philosophical and and kind of mind-blowing was being said to me. And this just feels to me like kind of like a normal-sized space adventure in a three-hour giant epic package. And there there came a point around like maybe the two-hour mark where the movie just like falls apart like Skylab. Oh. It just like the story just goes to hell. It just it shatters apart. You can't figure out what's going on. And, you know, all of, and like you're saying, like you were saying, motivations, characters start behaving in kind of weird yes, ways, right? Yes, that was my biggest logic issue. It wasn't the science I had the biggest issues with, which the science, I, I think, can be kind of muddled at certain points. And I don't want yes. to worry about that. But I, the characters, I'm like, why are you doing this now? Right. I don't understand this. Why are, are you burning this field? Right. I have what no are you idea. angry about? What, why you, why are you still angry? <laughs> Right, exactly, exactly, and that's that's made a, no sense to me. It was. I feel that was a big problem, and I'm just gonna say, the movie for all you know, Christopher Nolan, brainy, smart, brilliant Christopher Nolan. All this stuff starts boiling down to some very squishy, squishy notions about love and spirituality and the afterlife and a little bit of God in there. And, uh, you know, and I understand that that's sort of where science sometimes seems to take us. That that's we're always trying to. Especially when you're looking at in the cosmos, you're trying to kind of figure out where we came from and where God is and could we go there and find the guy. But this movie just kind of – it all got a little a little ooey-gooey at the end and I didn't buy it. I didn't buy it. I was very underwhelmed by Interstellar. I found it, I found it to be an underwhelming date. You? I, I don't mind the ooey-gooey. You know I love ooey That's and true. gooey. That's true. You do. I, I you love do, crying. Kristen. I love that. love it all. But I just – I was so confused. There were moments of – genuine beauty in this. There are moments of, wow. Yeah, some real spectacle. Really, just... The water planet looks great. Just moments, though. And then I would be thrown back into something else that made no sense to me. And so... (laughs) I just I, I I wanted this to be a good date. It wasn't a good date for me. It me just, too. It just wasn't. I'm sorry, folks. I know. Me too. And I'm a and I am a much bigger Nolan You're fan, a big fan than of you. His. I loved yeah. Inception. Yeah. Um And uh, yeah, I could, yeah, Interstellar, underwhelming date. All right. Well, stay with us because coming up, we're going to be talking sweatpants. What you should be watching this week? That's on the small screen, on video, on DVD, VHS, etc. Not VHS. Why did I say Not that? Not VHS, Kristen. Not VHS. I'm sorry. I'm thinking about Betamax On again. On Laserdisc. Betamax. Betamax. Baymax. <laughs> All that, plus some listener mail and trivia in a moment. I'm Rafer Guzman. And I'm Kristen Meinzer. And this is Movie Date. Rafer, I see. I see you tied some uh, loose trousers on just now. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yep. I got oh. my I got my drawstring and a bow. Oh, that that looks very comfy over there. As you can see, I have some elastic waist also going on over here. <laughs> Why? Because it's that time. 
you're wearing sweatpants, it's Monday. Who am I, the Queen of England? I don't know, does the Queen of England only wear sweatpants? When you are a man, sometimes you wear stretchy pants in your room. All right, it's time for sweatpants when we talk about what you can watch on Netflix, Hulu, VOD, and of course, good old fashioned television. Rafer, we have a couple of picks this week. Now, let's start off with, with one that I, I would like your perspective on because you love cults. <laughs> oh, no, wow. You're just going to come right out and say it, huh, well, Kristen? I know you probably think these people are a cult. The Duggar family, 19 kids and counting on TLC. 19 kids and counting. I don't, I don't think they're a cult. Okay, it, let's back up. Tell us about the Duggar family. So the Duggar family first came into prominence um, back when they had, when they were expecting their 17th kid, I think mm-hmm. it was. 17 kids and counting, then it was 18 kids and counting, 19 kids and counting. We have Jim Bob and Michelle Duggar. They live in Arkansas with all of their kids in a ginormous house with two kitchens and um, thousands and thousands of square feet. Jim Bob was in politics briefly. He was and a state rep? I believe that's right. And um, Michelle is a homeschooling mom who somehow manages to keep all these kids uh, educated, clothed, and the house in order. Yeah. And always with just a nice smile and a sweet countenance about her. She's just very, she's very sweet. So they have 19 kids all together. All of whose names begin with J. Including Ginger. (laughs) Including Ginger. Oh, boy. And this is a very big season for the Duggars. They're just getting tons of viewers this year. There's tons of chatter around the show because two of the Duggar daughters are getting married this season. And this is, you know, a big change. We used to focus on how many more kids is Michelle going to have? Is she going to have another this season? And now, six years after the show first launched, we have some of the girls now grown up or almost grown up, depending depending on how you... Grown up enough to get married. Yep, grown up enough to get married. And the Duggars have certain house rules. Uh, Jim Bob is very strict about no frontal hugging, Mm -hmm. only side hugging, Mm -hmm. no hand holding until you're engaged, and no kissing until your wedding day. Mm -hmm. Here's a clip. We have told our kids that are in a courtship to set their own rules and then bring them to mom and dad and to kind of let us kind of oversee that and then also to hold you accountable for those. No holy hands, no kissing. No kissing. <laughs> Always having a chaperone with us at all times. We do side hugs. Obviously, we're saving our first kiss for marriage. Mm. It's pretty basic. My wife gets so angry when I give her a side hug. And I, I, <laughs> I actually do. I, I give her a side hug sometimes. She gets so mad. She's like, what am I, your pal? <laughs> give me an actual hug. Boy, she gets angry about that. The side hug then with like the um, shoulder punch. And the noogie, yeah. Oh, yeah, all of that. <laughs> I, don't, I feel I don't so do loving. That. I don't do that. Puts me in the mood. So sexy. Well, now, okay. I, the, first of all, I just want to say I don't actually consider these guys a cult. Um, you know, <laughs> really? No, I don't. I mean, I look, thought for sure you would see them as a cult. Uh, right there. Yeah, you know, they've got, they've got their religious beliefs. It seems to be working for them. What can you say, right? I mean, they all they all seem to be doing fine. Uh, I it, it, what I'm baffled by. I guess I'm just baffled by why anybody would watch this series. What? You know it's like one of the most popular reality I shows. I don't get it. You know it's, this, though, there's right? that. There's that. There's the one where you get to um, 
come in and see, I think it's Josh's, uh, Josh and Anna. Yeah, Josh is the oldest of the kids. Yes, right. He's the oldest. And they've got a new house. And so you go see their house in, in D.C., I think it is. Mm-hmm. So you go see their he house. for focus on the family now. So he, we had to move to D.C. Yeah, right. So you, they, they, they open up the door and he's like, yeah, come on in. I'll, I'll show you my house. And you walk around. It's this, you know, kind of nice uh, middle class house with, the, you know, several bedrooms. And there's the dining room with the dining room table and some chairs that were bought at the local furniture store and a floral print couch. And I just thought, what am I doing here? Why, why, am, why am I inside your house? Why, why, am I, why am I inside your completely average middle class home? Thanks for coming by. God, you're welcome. Why, why don't I just turn my head to the person next to me and say, so how's the wedding going? How are your daughters? What's happening? Oh, really? How are the fla- Did you get the flowers okay? Mm. Then at least I'd be talking to a real person breathing in front of me and not watching them on television. So you're saying you think 19 kids and counting is boring. I, I, boring doesn't even begin to describe it. It would it would it would be it would be like someone showing me like a, a like a half hour episode of me getting dressed. I would just be like, why in Christ's name would I want to see that? I think you just said the important word there. In I'm Christ's sorry. Name. I'm sorry. That was rude. That no, was rude. I mean, I, I think people watch this family partly because they're like, how do they have so many kids? How do they manage this world? Yes. Look, yes. They're just like us. Right. You know, the Us magazine motto of stars. They're just like right. us. Exactly. They have 19 kids. They're just like us. They wait to kiss until they're married, but they're right. just like us. And when you're the, when you're the, when you're the guy who's going to marry the daughter, Jim Bob gets to come in and ask you about your finances and what would you do in this. Now, if you, now if your car broke down, what would you do? Because obviously with these fishing around for us to make sure you're not going to put on the credit card and go into debt, right? Because they feel like buying everything debt-free. They're all into yes. cash only, right? Yes. Well, you know, n- not the worst idea in the world, by the way. But, you know, oh my God, I wouldn't want to be that guy. Have you know, to have to be grill. The, uh, Jim Bob actually opens up a book and like starts like grilling him on, you know, his financial philosophy. Anyway, but you know, again, fine. They're making it work. They've got a family. They're doing it. It's all coming together for them. You know, I, who else could raised 19 kids. I don't know what's wrong with me, but I'm obsessed with these people. Are you really? Yeah, I can't help it. I don't know what is wrong with me. And I, I don't know if it's because it gives me that same feeling maybe, that Little House on the Prairie. I was a huge Little oh, House on the Prairie right. fan. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It might be that because they wear long skirts and they all have long hair. And right, dad's right. like a patriarchal head of household. Right. I don't know what it is, but it taps into something with me and with a lot of Americans where you just get obsessed with watching these people do very boring things like make dinner. Um, I, I do think it's kind of I do think there is some you're onto something. I think that's there's something a little interesting about the attitude that people have, which is on the one hand, I think you feel like, well, thank God I'm not that, right? Like mm-hmm. that like at least that's not me and I don't have to resort to all this kind of weird as yeah, well, I'll, I'll go ahead and use the word quasi cultish, you know, sort of religion. They're quiverful. They want a full quiver of arrows, God's arrows, because they're part of God's army. It's yeah, <laughs> right. No, seriously. This yes. Is a, I, a certain sect of um, conservative Christianity in America. It's, ba- uh, ba- so it's a Baptist uh, sect, I think. In, in a, in a, independent Baptist, I think. So, but at the, on, the, and on the other hand, I think you watch this and there's some kind of nagging feeling, too, that you're like, maybe my liberal secular world is not functioning as well. <laughs> what if I was wrong? What, what if these guys actually do have the answer, <laughs> right? Maybe I should just side hug. <laughs> I mean, could I raise 19 kids with my crappy philosophy? No. Good Lord. My life, my life would go to hell in a handbasket. 
anyway, I, all I'm saying is I do understand what you're saying. It, it's very interesting. Um, it, it, it's interesting to think about why people think it's interesting. But I could not watch this show for more than 10 minutes. Oh. It's like a Warhol film. I can't, I can't help it. I just I, I love those Duggars. I love those 19 Kids and Counting. And it's on TLC every week. And you can also watch it online. I'm going to just make a quick a quick sweatpants pick to go back back to the vaults and watch uh, An American Family, the old PBS series about the Louds uh, back in 1973 when PBS sent a crew to hang out with a suburban family and watch their watch them go through their daily lives. What a concept, right, in 73. Or it was filmed in 71, I think yeah, you told yeah. me. Um, and then, of course, what's fascinating about the Loud family is that the entire family just splinters apart on camera, which was not really yeah, <laughs> supposed you, to be you happening. Can't help but wonder, is it the cameras that made them fall apart? Right, or right. Or is it they were just like a time bomb that was going to fall apart anyway? I mean, right. We, we witnessed the you know divorce of the parents that, you know, I think it's Pat who says to Bill, I don't uh-huh. want to be in this anymore. Yes, and yes. And then we also have the coming out, the very, very famous coming out of the oldest Lance Loud, son. the oldest yeah. son, right? I mean, horrors, right? In 1973, what's happening to this family, <laughs> right? They're getting divorced. The son is gay. Oh, my God. You know, little did anyone know that that was actually the most realistic representation of the American family that you could hope to have. I still think this um, series is totally fascinating. Um, and that's my that's my little added sweatpants pick for the for the week. Yeah, it just celebrated its 40th anniversary last year. And if you want to go out and buy the new reissued DVD set, you can do that otherwise. Otherwise, you can just stay in your sweatpants and watch on Netflix. That's right. <laughs> All right, Rafer, before we get to trivia, let's listen to just a little bit of listener mail this week. Hi, Rafer and Kristen. This is Kim Zuckert calling from Hollywood, California. And I'm several weeks behind in catching up on podcasts. So I'm pretty sure this is really old information and also that other people have called up with it too. But I just listened to your review of the box trolls, Rafer, and you said, this movie is so gross, what child would want to see it? And my answer is, all of them. Seriously? Don't you remember what it's like to be a kid? Don't you remember how all kids love stuff that's kind of gross? Don't you remember the garbage pail kids? Those were disgusting. Parents were horrified by them, and kids loved them. Don't you remember uh, Green Slime? That may be a little before your time. I don't know. That was when I was a kid. We had Green Slime. This is what children like. They like things that are kind of disgusting. And that's who the box trolls were made, was made for. Okay, Kim, I know what you're saying. <laughs> Look, I know what you're saying. I, I remember the Garbage Bales kid, and I also do remember Slime, actually, which uh, I don't know if this says something about me, but Slime actually did gross me out even as a kid. Oh, I loved Slime really? as a kid. Really? I, I spilled loved... some in my shag carpet rug, <laughs> and it, just, it never came out. It was just, oh, it, it, that thinking about that grosses me out to this day, to this day. So persnickety, Rafe. I know, right? Am I some kind of like Felix Unger type? I guess I am. Maybe you uh, are. Anyway. <laughs> Uh, Kim, look, I I know what you're saying. I'm gl- I'm glad I'm glad for the counter opinion. Thank you for calling in. That was that was great. You can always call in five seven one seven movies. We'd love to hear from you guys. And you can also use that number to call with your trivia answers. Aha! Uh-huh. Oh, so last week, in honor of naughty journalists, journalists who aren't always doing the right thing, because we were reviewing Nightcrawler with Jake Gyllenhaal, bad journalist, bad journalist, bad journalist. So in honor of that. We played a clip of a movie with another naughty journalist. Here's the clip. I was pouring sweat. My blood is too thick for Nevada. I've never been able to properly explain myself in this climate. 
Okay. Be quiet. Be calm. Name? Frank. And press affiliation. Nothing else. We asked what that movie is. Got a ton of right answers, but we randomly each week only choose one. Here it is. Hey, movie day. This is Maddie in Portland, Oregon, driving home from work in some traffic. And I wanted to answer the trivia question. That movie is Fear and Loathing in Las Vegas. We can't stop here. It's backcountry. Good job, Maddie. Great work, Maddie. Thanks for calling us. Quoting from the movie and everything. We were somewhere around Barstow in the desert when the drugs began to take hold. All right, this week's trivia, uh, in, because we've been reviewing Interstellar, we're going to play a clip from a film that uh, Christopher Nolan actually happens to like. I think he may be one of the few out there, but he has said that he admires this movie, uh, which has some relationship, some similarities to Interstellar. Here's a clip. You'd have beat him again if he hadn't bumped you. Nah, I'd have missed on purpose. Don't worry. I'll uphold the honor of the old outfit. Star, Vincent's my name, sharpshooting's my game. Try me. If you know the name of that supposedly admirable film... <laughs> Give us a call. 5717 Movies. You can also visit us at facebook.com slash movie date podcast. 